Hello and welcome to All I Know Is This, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. My name is Amy Starr Redwine. I'm your host and I'm the pastor and head of staff at First Presbyterian. And we have been having a series of conversations here in the fall of 2020 based on our sermon series and education series at the church called Can We Talk Biblical Conversations in Good Faith? Today, I know we're going to have a really meaningful conversation with my friend and colleague, Elizabeth Lynn. Elizabeth is the founder of two innovative programs, the Center for Civic Reflection and the Institute for Leadership and Service at Valparaiso University. Both of these were programs aimed at expanding moral imagination for civic leadership, and I'm excited to hear her talk more about that Currently, Elizabeth is the project director of Shifting Ground, an initiative of Lake Institute on Faith and Giving, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about this new initiative, but Elizabeth, welcome. I'm really, really grateful to have you with us today. Amy, it's, it's so good to talk with you. Thank you for having me on. So I would love to hear about the work you've done and especially this current project that you're working on. Maybe just start by telling us a little bit about your work. The two programs you mentioned, the Center for Civic Reflection and Institute for Leadership and Service, both of those uh, I led out of the state of Indiana, which Mm -hmm. is in the Middle West. And in both cases, I was focusing on how to help people see the real possibilities in our common life and engage in their giving and serving for the long term out of a sense of hope and possibility. We did this in different ways through the Center for Civic Reflection. We worked nationally with leaders in philanthropy and service Mm -hmm. and with volunteer programs like AmeriCorps. And we helped those engaged in service and giving enter into conversation about the questions that that their experiences were raising for them, the values they brought to it, Mm -hmm. the deeper experience of civic engagement. We did that through reading short texts Mm -hmm. and talking about them. It's still an active program. It's now in Maryland at Salisbury University. It's a very helpful way, I think, to engage in conversation. So we might come back to that later. The Institute for Leadership and Service focused on students in Valparaiso University and helping them connect their experiences of service with what they were studying Mm -hmm. and their conceptions of success or vocation in life in order to have a a more integrated approach to their values and their action and their work in the world. Mm -hmm. And we did that through courses and speakers, many different things. Then I moved to uh, the South and I'm now living in Charlottesville, Virginia, And from here, I'm leading an initiative at Lake Institute on Faith and Giving titled Shifting Ground. One of my hallmarks is to lead initiatives that have very odd titles like (laughs) Civic Reflection and Shifting Ground. But Shifting Ground is, is focused on the shifting ground of faith and giving in our society, the deep changes going on and is an effort to help religious leaders, philanthropic leaders, community leaders, look at, think about, and talk together about how the ground is shifting in the ways that we engage in faith and giving in the hopes that those conversations will lead to new imagination Mm -hmm. and strategic action 
for a flourishing future for congregations and communities. I am so grateful that you are doing that work. And I actually think shifting ground makes a lot of sense to me, especially I've been in the church for long enough that we can see that these patterns are changing in terms of how people view the church and giving to the church relative to other philanthropic giving that they may feel called to do in their lives. So it it makes me feel better to know that you and other smart people are trying to tease out some of what's really going on here and helping provide a church like First Presbyterian and a, a, a pastoral leader like me with some um, information and resources that can help us navigate this changing environment. And I'm curious what in in all of those projects and initiatives that you've been involved in, I do hear this common thread of engaging people in meaningful conversations about challenging topics, which is exactly what we're trying to get at and why I wanted to talk with you today. So I'd love to hear from you what you have learned over the years that you've done this work about how to help people have these kinds of challenging conversations. I think that we started all these projects, including the most recent, from the perspective that people are asking questions about their lives. They may not be asking them out loud. They may not have articulated them. But there are underlying questions in our experiences of our communities, of our congregations, our faith, our families, and ourselves, that we struggle to find ways to talk about. And so much of the conversation around giving and serving has been oriented to trying to give people answers rather than to help them articulate their questions and trust them to be the generous, life-giving people that they were meant to be, mm. that God wants us to be. So how do we how do we create the space for people to really talk at a deeper level about their giving and their serving and their hope for their community? There's so much focus just in in work on civic engagement let's just step outside the congregation okay. right now, but on getting people to give and serve. So young people are called into service to, you know, to spruce up their resumes, to get into college, to, to be good. But those experiences of service are really worthy of attention, mm -hmm. reflection. They open us up to the question of what kind of a world we want and what mm -hmm. kind of a person we want to be. So how do we have those conversations? I start from the perspective that people have that desire to think and talk more deeply and they need help. And then with the thought that giving a group of people something to focus on and talk about that is complex and that exceeds any one person's understanding creates space for us to have different views on what a good gift is or what it means to serve or what kind of community we want. So that's why we've used literature because, you know, if you, if you read a good story and talk about it with someone or see a really good film you're not going to see it exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. And and in fact, scripture is a model of this. Mm -hmm. Scripture is infinitely complex and invites us into reflection and thinking about what it says to us. It doesn't speak in the same way to everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but how do we have those conversations? 
So that's, that's been the core commitment of the Center for Civic Reflection and now Shifting Ground is to trust that people want to have these conversations, give them complex things to think about and look at, and give them an opportunity to start talking. One of the things we give folks is data. It can be helpful to look outside your own budget sheet, your own bottom line, and realize that the ways people are giving in our society are changing. It's not just your own congregation or organization. And to see that larger landscape is really important. What I think is so valuable about what you just described in terms of helping people have conversations about these deep and complicated topics and even sort of feelings and motivations and values, kind of having those conversations around a shared experience of literature. You know, in the church, we so often use scripture to do that. But I think also one thing I've learned from you and the Reverend Mark Ramsey, Executive Director of Macedonian Ministries and the Ministry Collaborative, who was interviewed in our season one, these wonderful, not sure exactly what I would call that, but sort of guides for church boards. In our church, we call it a session, and you always have scripture, but you also often have something else as well, whether it's a poem or a bit of literature or even like an article from a recent news story and help put those in conversation together. I use them all the time. I find them incredibly valuable. And I can hear the experience that you've had, how that has informed the conversations that you're helping church leaders to have as well. Yes, that's exactly the, the theory behind that. Church boards, like other groups, need a chance to have those conversations. And there's so much for us to talk about. Yeah. It doesn't just have to be me giving my opinion and you giving yours. Let's look at this recent story of a diner in Kansas uh-huh. and the decisions they made about how to use their resources. And then think about, well, how are we using our resources? Yes, definitely. So back to the the trends that you're seeing in the data, what are some of those big picture trends in terms of giving and the church or even other philanthropic organizations? The big storyline can be summed up this way. I would give it this headline, fewer people giving more. So what we have is a growing pot of money that is being given in the society, but fewer people are contributing to that pot. And that also means that those people are giving more. It's both a simple idea and a complex idea. Yeah. But over time, the number of households giving has dropped. So just in the first decade of this century, of the 21st century, the uh, percentage of households participating in giving dropped from close to two-thirds to just a little over half of all households. That is a significant decline. It is something we need to really think about Mm -hmm. because it affects not only congregations, but so many other organizations that we have come to rely on for the flourishing of our communities Mm -hmm. and our common good. I think it's something we really need to start talking about. Mm -hmm. And it, it also has the impact of making those fewer people who are giving more, it magnifies their power and their anxiety, Mm -hmm. I would say, about how to give and how to give well. 
So for those donors, it's also a very complex matter. And I I know some congregations will find that they're more dependent on a few people to give. And then how how is it for those folks as well as for the others? And and why are people dropping out of giving? Yeah, that was the question that's in my mind. And does the data, has that been determined yet? Do we know why? don't think we have a sufficiently clear picture of the why. We do know a number of the ingredients that go into the recipe of a generous person. And there's some really interesting studies of that. Christian Smith at the University of Notre Dame has uh, done a very interesting study on the science of generosity. Hmm. But one of the ingredients in a recipe that can make up a generous person is participation in in religious life. It's not a necessity. It's just like you can make a cake without flour, right? But participation in a religious community does teach people habits of giving. Mm. And so if we have a situation societally where fewer people are participating in religious life regularly, I think there's there's a likelihood that that's tied to people not learning habits and joys of giving mm-hmm. in the same way. And that's something we need to think about. And not just for our own congregations, yeah. because that can be a sort of vicious circle. Uh, fewer people participate and then fewer people give. But for our communities as a whole, it should be a conversation that religious leaders engage more broadly. It strikes me that one of the things that I would like to think that religious religious organizations provide for people, and I would say this isn't just Christian, but sort of any kind of religious organization is to help us constantly make the shift from me to we. We are also right up in the last week before the election. And then I think this will, people will be listening to this the day after the election. But, you know, I've been hearing a lot of interviews on the news of individual voters and kind of being asked, well, why are you voting this way or that way? And I've just been struck by how many of the answers are very personal and individual. And I do think that one of the things religion does is pull us out of that human tendency towards selfishness. And that's what giving is about. I think that the way you described that articulates what this French author who came to the States in the 19th century saw, which was that Americans, the nature of their society were prone to individualism, but they were able to counter that through association with one another. Mm. And that individualism is not best understood as a form of selfishness. Mm -hmm. It's a lack of understanding of how we're really connected to Mm. one another. So I think that participation in religious community opens us up to our connections to a larger whole and that there is such a hunger for that. Yes. So how do we help people see their connections to a larger world? Yeah. And how do we help people see that in many ways, in its purest form, that is what a church is about. I think there have been some other things that have gotten in the way of people recognizing that, that the church really is here to kind of meet that hunger that so many of us have for connection, for asking deeper questions and not always being able to 
find easy answers. I think this is a great time to turn to our scripture reading that we're going to discuss today. And that is a story from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 18, verses 18 through 25. This is a story sometimes that gets the headline, The Rich Young Ruler. So we have this ruler who comes to Jesus and asks him this big Big question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus calls on some of the commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses to give to God's people, Israel, were divided into sort of two parts, the ones that have to do with our relationship with God and the ones that have to do with our relationships with one another. And Jesus quotes the second part of those, the ones about our relationships with one another. You shall not commit adultery or murder or steal or bear false witness, honor your father and mother, to which the man replies, I have kept all of these since my youth. And then Jesus says to him, well, there's one thing lacking, sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And then we have this line, when the ruler heard this, he became sad for he was very rich. And the ruler doesn't say anything else in the conversation. At this point, we read that Jesus looks at him and says what probably most of us remember from this passage, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God to which those who are listening in on this conversation, I imagine them throwing up their hands and saying, then who can be saved? (laughs) And Jesus says, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. A really rich uh, conversation here between Jesus and this seeker. And I'm really eager to hear what you think about this passage. Yeah, well, thank you for directing our mutual attention to it. Mm -hmm. It is a fascinating passage. And simply by asking me to read it more closely, you gave me a gift because I I had certainly heard it from the pulpit and I had read it in Bible studies and am familiar with it. But reading it closely this time, I was really surprised. Jesus is entering into a conversation with this man. And what I hear is someone coming to him who knows he's not satisfied with his life. There's something unhappy in him. There's a question to go back to our earlier uh-huh. discussion. There, he's, he's got questions about his life. He doesn't feel satisfied. He doesn't have what he needs but he doesn't know what it is. Jesus is paying close attention. Mm -hmm. So first the young man says, calls him good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? So he's, he's paying close attention to what this guy says. He's not just pulling out a dogma and saying, this is what you got to do. Right. Which is, I think, how we hear it. Yeah. He's actually paying attention to this guy and trying to figure out what is going on with him. And then when Jesus says, well, do these things for others in your community, as Mm -hmm. you so nicely pointed out. And the ruler replies, I've kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, there's still something else to do. It wasn't the first thing he went to. He heard something in him. He heard this person asking a deeper question about how to live a good life, that he wasn't satisfied simply with the commandments, that there was something more. He saw that his wealth was burdening him. That's how I understand it, that this is an act of deep attention 
to somebody who is asking questions and an effort to try to help them open up their mind. Mm -hmm. And then when the young man becomes, or the, in this case, he's the ruler, I guess in other gospels, he's identified as young, young but right. here he's just identified as a rich ruler. When this ruler becomes sad, Jesus looks at him and, and observes essentially that is so incredibly hard for someone with wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is such a poignant statement. How does our wealth keep us from really moving toward God, toward the kingdom mm -hmm. of God and the kingdom of heaven, toward the beloved community? We need to ask that. Yeah. And I don't feel like he's telling us so much a specific thing as he's trying to hear out our questions mm. in this and that that's what we should be doing for each other. Thank you for that. I'm not sure I had really given a lot of thought to how Jesus not only comes to this conversation, but his openness to these questions. And I, I heard you say earlier in the work that you do and have done of how important it is to help people kind of get at the questions that they might really be asking, but that haven't yet surfaced in a way that they can be fully articulated. And I think it's really beautiful to think of Jesus doing that in this conversation. He's hearing, so he's listening to what the man is saying, and then he's looking at him, as you pointed out. He's really focusing his attention. And then I love this, what you pointed out, that he's sort of making an observation. I mean, it's almost a neutral statement how hard it is when you yes. have great wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And I think we have to connect that to the commandments that Jesus listed, because they are indeed the commandments about how we live in community and how we engage with the people around us. Yes. If we think of it as that conversation, the ways in which we engage with the people around us, the ways in which we respect the dignity of others and the property of others mm -hmm. and the well-being of others, but also the ways in which we use our material resources. If we think of those as a whole, what are our questions about that and how can we start talking with each other more deeply? Yeah. And that this can really be the starting point for a, a really meaningful conversation. As I mentioned to you before we started recording, we are um, in the midst of our annual stewardship campaign at First Presbyterian Church, and we've been trying to shift over the last few years to really thinking about stewardship as an ongoing part of the journey of discipleship and not a few weeks a year when we're asked to make a commitment to give to the church. But I think this opportunity that does come around each year and is part of the rhythm of church life because the church itself has to ask some of these hard questions about what are the resources we have and how do we want to use them both internally for our community and externally for the community that we believe we are called to serve and part yes. of asking those questions is inviting the people who have aligned themselves with our congregation to ask those questions as individuals. So we're yeah. in the midst of that right now. And I think this is both a really meaningful scripture. It's also really hard. I think we just yes. have to name that because I think yes. it raises the first question it often raises is, oh, my gosh, does that mean I'm supposed to sell everything? Is that what this passage is saying to me? And 
you know, I can't even get my head around what it might look like to do that. Like the, like the young ruler, I would just be struck silent, I think. Yeah. Um, Or become sad. And that sadness, that sadness is what Jesus is looking at Mm -hmm. when he makes that statement. Mm -hmm. So what is our attachment to our possessions and to our resources? I think that is a question that that we need to talk about. And that goes for congregations as well as for individual members. Mm -hmm. But I think it needs to be approached with trust and listening and a recognition that there are no easy answers here. But what is enough? I mean, if in a way you think that's the rich ruler's question, Mm -hmm. what is enough? And Jesus is listening to him and realizing that this ruler does not feel satisfied simply by obeying the commandments. There's a further movement he needs to make. And what is that movement? And part of what I think about this passage is like many other conversations that Jesus has with individuals or with his disciples is that I think Jesus is constantly inviting us to a deeper and more, I don't know if meaningful is quite the right word, but a deeper sacrifice. Even to imagine, I don't think this is any harder than Jesus saying, pick up your cross and follow me. This is part of what it is to be a disciple that it will ask something of us that will not be easy to give. It will be incredibly meaningful. Yes. But I think part of what we're seeing here is Jesus is saying, okay, if you've done those things, then there's going to be another, the next step to take. And at some point, all of us will be asked to step beyond what is comfortable in this journey of discipleship. Right. But we're not alone in doing that. We need to be attentive to the questions that we're asking. Mm -hmm. So I think if if I were talking about this passage, I would say, what is the question that is gnawing at the soul of this rich ruler that makes him still not satisfied and ultimately makes him then sad? Don't you sometimes get an answer to a question that makes the answer makes you sad because maybe that is what you knew you needed to do right. <laughs> and you didn't want to do it. Yeah. You were really hoping that wasn't going to be the answer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a great thing to point out. I'm sure we've all had that experience. Um, yes. Yeah. And there is a, a sadness to that. Well, and I'm grateful that Jesus also offers... And I'm so interested that it's both this very intimate conversation between Jesus and the rich ruler... Yes. But there's a community that is watching and listening to the questions and to Jesus' answers. And their response, I, I don't know if it's sad, but I hear a lot of concern and anxiety in their question, who can be saved? I think what they recognize is, oh my gosh, Jesus is asking a lot of this man and probably of me too. And then we get this, what I see as a sort of pastoral and hopeful reminder that it's not all about what we do, but God's capacity to move and work within us and among us. Yes. Yeah. What an expression of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all things are possible with God. 
Well, Elizabeth, I can't thank you enough. What a joy it is to be in conversation with you. And I am so grateful for the work that you do and for the ways that you make it available to people like me and churches like ours. Um, I know we'll continue to benefit from it. And I, I'm glad that I know that you and I will continue to have really wonderful conversations. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm so respectful of your leadership and your congregation and the questions you're asking about how we have difficult conversations. I think we have to go forward with trust in one another that we can do this even in the time we're in. Yes, absolutely. And what isn't possible for us is possible for God. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Well, I want to thank all of our listeners who have joined us throughout this series and so grateful for you all being here. You can find out all kinds of things about what's happening at the church on our website, fpcrichmond.org. And Elizabeth, we'd love to put any information about some of the programs that you've talked about. Um, We can put those in our show notes for people to explore a little bit further. And in the meantime, thank you all for listening.